you were gonna say, Ali? <laughs> yeah, it's not right. I'm just thinking about like, so why why are people still fighting? And I think maybe you answered that. Is that it's a tribal maybe mentality? Is that someone got killed in the past and this is just vengeance for everything that's happened and that's why the cycle is still going? Like, who is like, people are selling weapons. You said UK are selling weapons to Yemen, but who's fighting right now? And what do they take? Well, what do they gain from fighting? Well, I mean. It is much, it's more complicated than just the Houthis and the Saudi-led coalition. You have other factions inside the country that are taking advantage of this. You know, you have Al-Qaeda, you have Mm -hmm. ISIS, you have other uh, extremist Islamic parties. You know, they are, they're happy to go kill Houthis. You know, you have the Houthis, they are more than happy to kill the Islahis or these other Islamic parties or Al-Qaeda. But you have other factions that are taking advantage of the situation on the ground that are continuing with this war. And and that's why I think that selling weapons to the Saudi-led coalition, I mean, I was there in Yemen. I was there when weapons landed in different parts of Yemen. And and for and people telling me that they can guarantee that those weapons went to the Saudi-led coalition, that none of those weapons got to Al-Qaeda or ISIS, man, that is really hard to believe that that was wait, the wait, case. Wait, 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 wait. And now we wait, can again? see. We, <laughs> wait, uh, wait, no. What I'm, <laughs> again, sorry, because, like, I didn't understand. So you're saying, just, just say that again. What please. I'm saying is that, what I'm saying is, you're, you're selling weapons, right? You're from Sweden or you're from Canada or the mm-hmm. U.S. You're selling weapons to the Saudi-led coalition, right? Mm-hmm. Now, when they make these contracts, there's all these stipulations where they can be used and how they can be used and who can use them. Now, when I was in the country during the war and I was in areas where there was Al-Qaeda and there was a Saudi-led coalition and they were fighting against the Houthis. And if somebody told me, no, we guarantee that the weapons that came from Sweden, that they only went to the Saudi-led coalition, that they didn't go to other Islamic extremist factions, I would say that's, uh, you know, that's really hard to believe, you know, that those weapons didn't get to other factions, you know, in a, in a situation like Yemen. Mm-hmm. And so that's why I would say it's, it's very irresponsible for these Western nations to be selling weapons to the Saudi-led coalition because you cannot guarantee that these weapons will, will not stay reach with the extremists. Mm-hmm. I'm sure there's like mm-hmm. in-selling in between, right? Even if it lands all the way to Saudi, doesn't mean that they won't sell it to other people as well, I well, guess. I'm sure it lands to Saudi. It's not, mm-hmm. the Saudi is not the problem. The problem is when it goes from Saudi it lands, it goes into ties or it goes into Aden. Okay, once it gets there, okay, then there's fighting. Okay, you're telling me that none of those weapons have ever gotten to any member of AQAP mm. or other factions? Uh, yeah, it's, that's hard to believe. But, but how is it reaching them? Like, how is it reaching these Islamic terrorists, like extremist groups? If it's supposed to be for Saudi Arabian coalition armament, are, are like... Yeah, but, but who is who is in the, you have we have to ask ourselves who is part of this coalition who is fighting against the Houthis? You've got you've got AQAP that's fighting against the Houthis. What's you've AQAP? got ISIS that's fighting against 
Al-Qaeda. Al-Qaeda oh. in the Arabian Peninsula. So you've got Al-Qaeda fighting against the Houthis, ISIS fighting against the Houthis, and you have the Saudi-led coalition, the army of Abdurrabbu. All of those different factions are sometimes mixed in together. And so for, for somebody to tell me that the weapons only go to one person or there's never a case where these weapons land in somebody else's hands, that, that to me is what's hard to believe. And that's why I believe it's, it's irresponsible on, any, on every level to sell weapons to, to such a war. But I'm saying even if you did, you can't guarantee that your weapons aren't being used, you know, with extremists or to kill innocent people. Mm-hmm. Oh, man. Well, to move it on <laughs> to the next thing, Alex. Before we do, that. sorry, one second. I just want to ask, yeah. uh, what about the other side? So we talked about these sides and how they're gaining their weapons. What about the Houthis? How are they getting their weapons? Is it from Iran, you're saying? Yeah, I mean, there's many that, you know, believe that they, you know, that it's from the Iranian regime that's receiving those weapons. And, you know, again, there is no, there is no, for most Yemenis, many Yemenis will tell you, you start talking to him and it's not like he's, one is for the Houthis and one is against. No, it's clear. You know, they're both committing war crimes against humanity, against the Yemeni people. Both sides are doing that. And that's why I believe it puts a risk, greater responsibility on the international community that is providing the weapons to these two parties. Okay. All right. It's hard Alex, to, just, uh, <laughs> okay, yeah. Thinking, yeah. It's not hard to, I mean, it makes, I don't yeah, know what to like say. That's I'm speechless, more. to be honest. Yeah, and more. My question is, so you've you said you've been there for like 10 years now and maybe half of those 10 years have been war stricken and i'm not sure about the state of Yemen before so what made you want to go to yemen and why do you stick through all this time and why are you still so involved with yemen specifically what well you know i i wanted to i wanted to go to a country that was kind of the that's probably due to the stereotypical uh, idea of the Arab world back in the West, you know, mm-hmm. what the Arab world would be, you know, you're thinking like, you know, 15th century, I don't know, desert camels, you know, you get to the Middle East <laughs> and you go to Dubai, Lebanon, mm-hmm. you know, even Amman, you know, and it's that. like mm-hmm. Starbucks, McDonald's, <laughs> you know, and so yeah, it's true. <laughs> I eventually, I I eventually got to, to. I visited some guy. Told me he's like, "Hey, you should go visit Yemen." I was like, "Where? Where? First of all, where is Yemen?" And then I and then I went there. And uh, when I got there, I was like, "Wow, this place is crazy. This place is like the Wild West, you know, like all these people and there's, you know, the old city in Sanaa and their, their traditional wear and all that kind of stuff." So that kind of attracted me. And then I started to work in this niche of uh you know consulting in humanitarian aid and development and that's how i uh stuck around and and then uh you know stayed around for it you know towards the end of my time there i realized you know all this news was coming out about yemen but i knew yemen from meeting these people such nice people such welcoming people all these success stories and so that's why i said man you know i need to 
I feel responsible to get some of their stories out to the world so that in, so that the world can see like, hey, there's people out there that are that are really developing themselves and that are for the peace building process and that are doing great things. And so that's what got me doing this podcast. Interesting. Okay. Awesome. There's yeah, no so Starbucks and yeah, there's no Starbucks in Yemen, no McDonald's. Sorry, sorry. No Starbucks, no McDonald's. <laughs> well, that's—I've never been to a country without Starbucks and McDonald's. What's like the culture in Yemen? Is it just well, very I mean, Westernized? Not Westernized, still, or? Yeah, I mean it's not hmm. Westernized, but again, you, the the positive of that is you have a very. There's a lot of positives to a tribal community. You know, you have strong community. You have. Uh, you know, you have a strong feeling of family. You're, I mean, if you, you know, if you've been to the Near East, you know, in Lebanon and Iraq and in Jordan, you already know how welcoming the people are at. So, but imagine Yemen is even more than that mm-hmm. in, in how hospitable they are and that, and that's all due to their tribal, you know, culture. And so yes. there's a lot of history there and, there's a lot of history there and a lot of things that, you know, as a foreigner are very attractive to you being foreign. You're, you're welcomed by them. Yep. I think they call it the karam being, uh, very hospitable and kind and, you know, never saying no to your guests. This is all part of tribal like culture, especially in Yemen. And I, yeah, that's true. But like all of this, becomes hard there when the situation around you is against you being kind and giving and hospitable when you can't afford these basic necessities for yourself right so my question is how has this impacted on the tribes of Yemen you know I think that the core the core of who they are you know of family and helping the stranger, you know, I think the core is still there. I think what's sad is that the political parties and the war has put a lot of pressure on many tribes to fight for things that they have no desire to be fighting for. They just want to, you know, raise their family, you know, get their kids educated and live in peace where now you have, you know, the country is more and more divided, you know, every single month the war continues. So it has put a lot of pressure on the families, on the different areas. I mean, back in the day, I remember traveling out in the east, in the north, up in the mountains, and in Hodeida, all over the country, you know, it was not a problem at all. And then, you know, from 2010 onwards, you know, it was basically you could feel the situation getting hotter mm-hmm. and uh, there were more, you know, incidents of kidnappings, assassinations of, you know, different people. And so it definitely the country started to change over the years. <laughs> it's hard to hear. I'm not going to lie. Hard. It's really hard to like. What are. My heart uh, goes out the, to the people of Yemen. My heart goes out to the people of Yemen. So, yeah, tell us more about the beauty of Yemen, the different places to see. Because I don't know too much about Yemen. I'm from Arabia and I was from Arabia. It's just that Yemen's always been a little bit more isolated of a country. I guess like Egyptian culture, everyone knows about Egyptian culture in Arabia, right? Or like Emirati culture 
or like maybe Lebanese culture. Right. But what, tell us about yeah, tell us a little bit about Yemeni culture. What's um, I mean, he, mm-hmm. you know, something that and people are get tired of me saying this, but people Yemeni people they are like they are so resilient, mm-hmm. you know. And if you could break that out, resilient, you know, it is the idea that you're getting kicked. You're, you're getting kicked and you're still, and you're not, you know, you didn't do anything and you still get kicked and you still get up over and over and over again. And, and, and I think what people don't realize is that imagine you're Yemeni, right? So you don't have anything to lose. How are you, how are you, how do you think that you're going to defeat a party? You're going to defeat somebody who has nothing to lose mm-hmm. that's impossible you know whereas an emirati or a saudi they have a lot to lose they have riches they have homes they have their family yemenis have nothing to lose and i think that's why you see them just get up they keep getting up you know they people tell them you can't travel you can't get an education and then you see them you know they got an education they get a master's degree you get a phd you, you know, I've talked to Yemenis that people laugh at them when they're like, you're going to be a singer. I've interviewed in my episodes people, you know, Yemenis that are now, you know, uh, you know, are, 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 are singers, are, are, are known, you know, internationally as a singer. You know, mm-hmm. I spoke to, just yesterday to Khaled Tuwaiti, you know, he's a, he's the fighter. He's 6-0 and right now. And so you've got all these different Yemenis from the political world, journalists, uh, actors, uh, boxers in different areas that basically their whole life they were giving they were given no cards they were giving nothing and but just because they're resilient they now just go on and they've basically proven and that's pretty much what this podcast is about Yemen News is about highlighting the Yemenis that despite the struggle, despite the war, they've come out of basically the dirt, the dust, or the ashes, and have now proven that, no, they can do it, you know? That's very admirable. Are there, so you said there's no electricity right now in Yemen? How does that, what is? Yeah, the, the, the hmm. majority of the country doesn't have electricity. At all. You have some, like, mm-hmm. at all. Mm-hmm. So most people are relying on solar power or they're relying on generators or you have a very small part of the country that has a little bit of power like Aiden and Madib has some mm-hmm. has some power. Aren't generators and solar power expensive though? Like how Yeah, they're very get access expensive. to it. Yeah, so how are, mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, they're very expensive. And so what you often do is you may have a neighborhood that has a generator and you can, you know, you may have seen this on social media where you have one guy as a shop and then he's got like one strip on the ground and there's like 50 phones being charged. You know, so when I say electricity, you know, don't, don't think, you know, they've all got their Xboxes going on in their home or something like that. But everyone has a everyone has a phone, right? For the most part in Yemen, it's like that's um, more mainstream. Or, I mean, I I would say a phone is more mainstream. I wouldn't say a smartphone is though. 
interesting. Okay, now you, you remember you what it was like. You remember, <laughs> mm-hmm. you remember what it was like when we used to have those Nokia phones, you know? Yeah. How we used to type. We used to type so fast on those little Nokia phones. You <laughs> two, know, two, two, three, three, four, 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 four. <laughs> yeah, I remember that. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Man, it was that's that's crazy that like it's <laughs> still going on. Like mm-hmm. I if you give me if you take away this phone right here and you give me like a Nokia phone now, <laughs> I would die. I, I wouldn't be able to you know? I wouldn't be able to cope with it's like uh, these these it's like do people. what you're doing do do what you're doing now with the Nokia phone. Oh man, you can't. There's no way. Well, people back, are doing it back then. <laughs> yeah. Before you sent a text, you have to get like you have to revise your text with every person in the house just to make sure it's understandable. Because it was expensive. It was like you had to pay like what twenty fills, quality fills for like one text message. So you had to oh, make that's, it, yeah, right, yeah. and it was completely <laughs> understandable. <laughs> that's funny. Mm-hmm. No. Because mm-hmm. now yeah. it's like, oh, WhatsApp, connect to the internet, you know, just send. You can, like, mm-hmm. I don't know. Ellie, have you ever? The internet. Words? Yeah. Wait, oh, the, the, yeah, tell us about the internet. Yeah, what is allowed? What's not? Is everything like, I don't know, social media, oh, all man. that jazz? I mean, yeah. Mm-hmm. I, talk to, I talk to media guys all the time, mm-hmm. you know, and it's like, it's unbelievable. You know, you can see on my account, I've got all these little videos of media guys that send me stuff and they send me footage of Yemen. And it's like, if you know anything about video, you have to render the video. So if you change something, you have to render it again. And so sometimes they're like, yeah, I just rendered it. It'll be ready like in 15 hours. So like sometimes what it takes us like five minutes to render, 10 minutes to render a video, it might take them you know, 16 hours. Wow. And then mm-hmm. if there's a power cut or mm-hmm. if the internet just didn't work, wow, start, start again. again. Yikes. Start again, mm-hmm. you know? Mm-hmm. Or I've sent them like a voice message, like a voice message, <laughs> which is like a minute, a minute, mm-hmm. a minute and a half voice message, which for us is nothing. I mean, like mm-hmm. we can send videos and for them, they're like, you know, hey, I, I didn't answer because I had to go up on the mountain and I had, to, I had my phone up and I was just trying to get the connection long enough to get your voice message. That's why I didn't answer back so quickly. Wait, what? Wow. Wait, you're talking about <laughs> our message when we messaged you. No, no, no. no. <laughs> I'm talking about like a just a regular audio message on WhatsApp that would be like <laughs> 60 seconds. You know, that is a struggle for many mm-hmm. parts of Yemen right now. So and but other than it being slow, is there are there any restrictions or censorship within Yemen or the news media? I mean, there's. I think the main the main issue is the fact that there's, you know, there's not a good connection. I mean, people can't mm-hmm. just stream things. People can't get access to information like like we can. Mm-hmm. I think that's one of the biggest issues. There's not so much the censorship aspect of it, but it is the you know, the fact that they're just, they don't have access to it. Mm-hmm. It's not a priority when you're, when you're worried about food, cholera, Corona. I mean, war. you know, mm-hmm. it, it's not like, yeah, war. I mean, mm-hmm. a sniper, you know, you go outside. I remember, you know, being in my, my home and we had, uh, there was a, um, it was getting very intense and there was a, we had kind of like this 
guard that was out there and it was in, during the last periods that we were there and I was walking out of my front door and he was walking towards me and there was probably a meter between me and him and all of a sudden we hear this thing go just like a wind with a whistle and we both stepped back we both stepped back and it was a bullet that had come from another area of the city and we both looked at each other and we were like wow i mean it was <laughs> it was crazy it was one of those moments like mm -hmm. wow this is this is something else so this is the kind of situation that yemenis are facing on a on a normal daily basis and so they're definitely not thinking about you know hey are you on you know tiktok or on snapchat <laughs> that's not the mm -hmm. conversation they're having mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I think part of the Arab Spring, what made it kind of successful was the use of internet and social media, people on Facebook, right? Right now with George Floyd, Instagram, social media was huge and like shining light on the different injustices. So I wonder just if like, I mean, if Yemen had better resources to internet um, or to share awareness, um, maybe it could help. Would the world act in a different way? I mean... Well, I don't know. Mm -hmm. I mean, well, I think, you know, I think that there is probably more more people speaking or posting about Yemen. Probably, I'm not saying it's a lot, but I'm saying more than probably there ever has been. And I'm not saying that's still a lot. I think there's got to be a lot more influencers. You know, you've got influencers that, you know, they're making you know, thousands of dollars per post for showing a bag or something or some Gucci bag. It's you got to have more people that are behind them, influencers speaking about, you know, and I think people are sometimes scared, you know, people are sometimes scared of like, am I being too political? And I think that people can step away from that when they can see like, hey, we're not asking you to be pro Saudi coalition or pro Hosi or even take a side here. We're just saying, get behind the motto, or get behind the message that says, stop the war. Just stop the war in Yemen. Just stop bombing Yemen. Stop weapons inside Yemen. And I think that's kind of a global message that you can give without making people feel that they need to, you know, you have to be like a, a Saudi hater or Emirati hater or an Iran hater. No, that's not the message that we're trying to give. It's not pro any of these. It's pro life, pro human beings. Anti war. You know? That's true. Mm -hmm. Because mm -hmm. it's like just like so far, the total numbers, I'm looking at the numbers now, and it's like 80 to 90,000 kids have died purely off of just starvation, not even war related, just starvation. Yeah. So, what do you Star think? What do you think are like, so you said war, the, stopping the war might be the most immediate fix to like, or at least to stabilize the situation. Mm -hmm. What are like two or three other major things um, to focus on in Yemen to help it get back to um, where it was? Well, I mean, I think that, you know, you have humanitarian organizations that are doing, mostly they're focusing on life-saving activities basically, which is food and mm -hmm. water. But the other thing we can't forget to focus on, and I spoke to Tariq Hassan, he's the uh, 
he's working in sustainable development in Yemen. He was uh, episode 26 that we did. And he brought a, an important point. He said, yes, food and water and health is so important, but let's not forget education. Like if we just neglect education for, I mean, let's just say in your countries, we're like, hey, let's just put a stop on education for five years. Mm-hmm. What would that do to the next generation? Why Destroy would we them. be surprised? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Why would we be surprised later when the upcoming leaders aren't apt to lead the country because we neglected education? So I think supporting education initiatives inside of Yemen is important and it's not sidelined to just doing, you know, wash or food or health. Interesting. Okay, uh, we are, unfortunately, I really wanted to continue speaking about this, but we are reaching uh, our time limit. My closing monologue, I think, would be just like, yes, there are all these wars around the world, but no country has taken it so bad as much as Yemen to the point where it is one of the worst, the worst humanitarian crisis to this day right uh, it's not just like a little bit of people it's as you heard from our good friend alex it is 80 percent of the population you said mm-hmm. yes that's correct Eighty humanitarian some form of humanitarian aid so obviously i'm going to leave a link in the description to where you can uh donate at a spot yeah also we'll leave a link to his podcast if you want to find out more about what's going on in yemen mm-hmm. uh, I, I don't know what to say i'm honest alex what do you yeah what do you suggest for like people like me and ali or like anyone listening what is the best way to help out or yeah to help out mm-hmm. well i mean i definitely think what you're already doing you know Again, it's like there's certain issues around the world that are trendy. You know, they're they're just trendy. They're they're. I'm not saying that people shouldn't get behind the 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 Black Lives Movement that matters. Those are all important issues, but Yemen isn't isn't trendy. You know what I mean? It's not Mm -hmm. cool to talk about Yemen and that type of thing. And I think the more people that we can connect with and talk about these issues in an intelligent way, I think that's one of the biggest things that you can do. Um, you know, donating your, your donating, of course, is also a, an area people can even get involved with, even on a small level. But I think everybody has a circle of influence. And if everybody brings up these areas of Yemen, the topic of Yemen, without getting into a side, I think that's where we're going to have some of the greatest impact. Thank you, Alex. Thank, Thank you. you for coming on our so, uh, show. Really uh, yeah. Thank, Thank you, you for having me. You're more than welcome. If you've made it Thank this far, you guys. Uh, if you've made it this far into the video, <laughs> please donate something. Do mm-hmm. anything you can do to help to help Yemen and its people. Uh, yeah, that's all I have to say. Thank you. Is there anything you want to? shout out other than your podcast no then thanks for having me guys i think what you guys are doing is great and uh, keep it up thank you thank you we're thank you. lucky to have you on today thank you very much anyways thank you for watching another episode good night <laughs>